0: The portion this evening has three sections to it. The first portion talks about the way in which Jesus is rejected in his own homeland. And that is, of course, a reality that is very uh, strong. We see uh, so often with the, the prophets that they are not accepted in their own homeland. We can so often forget the people closest to us and miss the many splendored reality of the presence of God so near at hand. It's almost the same as in the gospel of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. The disciples walking along don't notice Jesus uh, because he comes so quietly. It's also a portion in which we have references to the family of Jesus, uh, not uh, accepting him. And of course, the uh, reference of the brothers and sisters of Jesus, uh, which um, the various traditions explain as being or reflect upon the ancient tradition of the wider family of the Lord. Uh, the, uh, either the uh, children of Joseph by an earlier marriage or just basically the cousins and brothers and sisters in that wider sense. Then the second portion this evening is a uh, section on the mission of disciples. And that's good for us to think about, maybe especially in this Easter time, when we are reflecting upon the fact we're sent out by the risen Lord. And how do we do that? How do we do so in a spirit of total trust in God? Then the third section, the longest section of this evening's portion uh, has to do with St. John the Baptist and the martyrdom of John the Baptist. Uh, And I think as we meditate upon that, especially as we begin to hear it the first time, let's look at all the various people there at uh, Herod, at Herodias, uh, at all the various guests at the party who were just simply standing by while a just man was uh, sent to his death. Think of the courage of John the Baptist, the cowardice of the people uh, who in a sense almost accidentally, especially the king, sent him to his death. And yet very much like Pilate later on in the, uh, the Passion, someone who's a kind of a foreshadowing of that, maybe a person who himself loved to listen to John the Baptist had a certain spark of religious sense, but ultimately promised too much and was too much a slave of the feelings of others. And so uh, that led to the death of the great prophet. So important themes this evening as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us, especially in this Easter time, that we may in every way listen to your word. Speak Lord, your servant is listening. that all of the sins that burden us so much, away with them all, all things that are barriers that block the pathway to our hearts, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. All those cares, those concerns, that so occupy us and that are not worth that much really May they be no longer static in our lives, preventing us from hearing the voice of God. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Help me, O Lord, as I hear these words, to reflect on what they say to my head, that I may know you, my heart, that I may love you, and my hands, that I may serve you. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. He went away from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, the prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called to him the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Where you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. And if any place will not receive you, and they refuse to hear you, When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet for a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why those powers are at work in him. And others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John said to Herod, it is not lawful that you have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. When he heard him, he was much perplexed and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came and Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officials and the leading men of Galilee For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will grant it. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give you even half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent a soldier off of the guard and gave orders to bring his head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought the head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother his disciples heard of it. They came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. He went away from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. He went away from there and came to his own country. He was often received more by people who were strangers, who were pagans, as he went across the sea to the land of the Gerasenes people who one would not expect, Roman soldiers, occupiers of the country. But as John says at the beginning of the Gospel of John, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. How often is that true that we do not ourselves receive the Lord? He comes to his own people that he has saved through baptism, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And how often do we listen to him? Or do we not take him for granted so much and not pay attention? How often do we not experience the presence of the Lord because he has become so familiar to us, like a crucifix on a wall that has become invisible because we see it every day. So often we look, we look and we do not see because he comes to his own country and we do not recognize him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. He taught his people, spending his time with them to give them light. And many who heard him were astonished, but they weren't astonished the way others were at the beginning of the gospel, those who were strangers to him, they were astonished and filled with joy. Who is this one who speaks this way? What power he has, he speaks with authority. At the beginning of the gospel, even those who were strangers to him were astonished in that way. But here they're astonished in a different way. They're amazed that this local boy from his hometown, who is he to speak this way? We can always be that way with all kinds of people. How often we can tear down those closest to us or those we think we know. They'd seen him grow up around the village They thought they knew him. That he had such powers was something they could hardly believe because they thought they knew him. How often do we think we know people so well that we do not even recognize them and see the gifts that are within them so close to our eyes we cannot see? We need to let the scales fall from our eyes so that we can see the people around us, those most familiar to us, for familiarity breeds contempt, or at least blindness, and that we can then see as well the presence of God, who comes so quietly as on the road to Emmaus, just walking gently beside them, and they do not recognize him until the end. Let's ask the Lord to give us grace, to see, to hear, to recognize, the presence of God, even in the most familiar places. We search him far away, but as that wonderful, wonderful Stations of the Cross by Clarence Ensler has at the end, you know, when Jesus speaks to the one making the stations, that do not seek me in far off places, for I am close at hand. Your kitchen, office, workbench, these are altars where you offer love, and I am with you there. He went away from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Let's ask the Lord to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to see the presence of God in others, to see the presence of God in our lives in most familiar places. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He could do everything. It is God with us, our Lord Jesus. And yet he could do no mighty work there except a few miracles of healing. What stops God? the Lord Jesus himself. He could force his way through, but he never does, does he? He always invites our response. And if we do not respond, then he gives us in a sense, the power of blocking his power and majesty because he will not overcome us with his power, but always offers an invitation And so he could do no mighty work there because they were not open to receive him. And think of how often that is true in our own lives. The sacraments themselves are powerful and they are an act of God no matter what. When we receive Holy Communion, it is the Lord Almighty God. But we have a role too. That's what they always say. Ex opere operato is the power of God. And ex opere operantis is the reception. It's what our Lord speaks of elsewhere. He talks about the seed falling sometimes on the the, the path, sometimes on stone, sometimes in fertile ground. The seed is the seed no matter what. But the ground matters. And here in his own village, he found rocky ground. And he could do no work there. So we have a role. And we need to pray the Lord to give us grace. To be open to him. To hear his word when he speaks to us. May the words of his gospel be in our mind to understand and our lips to speak and our hearts to live it. Every day we need to pray the Lord to give us forgiveness for our sins which are a barrier on the pathway to our heart. That's why at the beginning of Lectio Divina, we have these little prayers of repentance. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let me not be rock to the seed. Let me be fertile soil. And those rocks that are in my heart, pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony, all the garbage of life, all those things, away with it all so that he may work within my heart, I do not block him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Sometimes it is sin that blocks the Lord. Very often it is. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy me a sinner. But sometimes it is routine and familiarity as in this portion of the gospel. They cannot recognize that this is God with them because they think they understand him. They've known him since he was a little boy. They think they know him totally as we think we understand other people. And yet they miss that this is God with them. They cannot see because they think they see remember once hearing someone say, I've got a great gift of reading people's hearts. And I thought, I don't think you do. <laughs> I back away at that point. <laughs> no, we don't, none of us. All of us are blind. And if we know that, then we can see. If we don't, then we are truly blind. And it can be the routine of prayer, praying, praying every day and not meeting the Lord because we are so familiar, too familiar. That's why in the praying of the divine office, as we just did here, we have the antiphonating back and forth, just to slow us down a bit so we'll pay attention rather than just speed reading. I often find that when I'm reading something, anything, including the word of God, I can just zip and down the pages and I haven't the faintest idea what's there. So familiar. That's why the prayers that are most familiar need to be prayed slowly and carefully. That's why I often, for a penance, I often talk about this, I say, for your penance, say, one our Father, for the 10 millionth time, whatever it may be, but slowly, let it not be like the village where we think we know, but do not. Let us recognize afresh the presence of God in the words that are most familiar, because the words that are most familiar, like the people who are most familiar, are the most precious. We don't need to seek him far away, but we need to break the routine, the blindness that comes with familiarity, whether it be to the people we see every day and therefore do not see them, or to the words we hear so many times. That's why it's good to pray for those who are married, the wedding rite. And go to weddings. Listen to those words again. That's why it's good for priests to go to ordinations. It's good for bishops to go to ordinations a lot. I love to do an ordination every week. I'm doing one this coming Saturday. We're going to have five duty ordained priests. It's wonderful. But every day, every time I do that, I always read again the ordination right to catch once more those old familiar words that speak afresh. That's like, you know, though, how do you live in a perpetual lifelong commitment? Well, you don't live it for a lifetime. You live it every day until you die. That means every day, every day, refreshing within. Those old familiar words, so they become in their familiarity, not invisible, but potent. That's why it's so beautiful. Just about a month ago, we had over at St. Paul's the renewal of the wedding vows, the marriage vows The people married, well, different amounts, different years, but 25, 40, 50, 60, more, whatever. And just to repeat again, what is most familiar can be most powerful or it can be invisible. We pray the Lord that it might be powerful. And he marveled because of their unbelief. It's funny, the, the people often marvel at Jesus more um, positively elsewhere than in this. Here they just marvel at how can the, the kid we know be doing all of this? And they laughed him off. But often people marvel at Jesus, at the, the great works he does. But he marvels here at their unbelief. He's almost saying, how can you not see? So he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands upon a few people and healed them. And he went among the villages teaching. He's on the road. He doesn't stop. Rejected in his own hometown, he just keeps moving along. That's a good uh, message for us as well. Prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude are the three cardinal virtues. I should like cardinal virtues, but I like them anyway for other reasons. But Fortitude is courage, which could be courage in battle or courage in great things like that. But fortitude, more importantly, is keep plugging along, showing up day after day. So he's rejected in one, in his own village, and he just keeps moving and doing another again and again and again that steadily going about the village's teaching when you've just been rejected, that's persistence, patience, fortitude, it's strength, it's boldness in continuing on. And we need that. But he does not do it only on his own. And he called to him the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He sends them out two by two. This is a good idea. So that there can be fellowship, critique, help, things like that. We're meant to be a community. And sometimes we meet the, we always meet the Lord individually in a sense, when we, especially at the moment of our death, we are always alone before the Lord, even if surrounded by our, our beloved. But we do need community. It's never one on one, it's never me and Jesus. That's just not enough. That's maybe a portion of the experience of our faith, but not enough. It's two by two, it's there and then eventually 12. He called a community together. He didn't write a book by the way, he called the community. So he sends them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Just notice how much in the gospel, The Lord is doing that, casting out unclean spirits. Very appropriate in St. Michael's Cathedral to talk about that. Reflect on that. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in this day of battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the heavenly hosts, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl through the world, seeking the ruin of souls. That, that prayer of Pope Leo the 13th, based on the letter of Peter and the apocalypse and a few other places, reminds us of this. And do you notice how our beloved Pope, Pope Francis, you know what he talks about an awful lot? The devil. I mean, he's been there, done that, seen what's going on, mano a mano, with the forces of evil. He just recently mentioned, there's a book I just read. I've only read two books in my life, cover to cover. One was The Seven-Story Mountain by Thomas Merton. I read um, when I was 20 years old on a trip to New York City, my, own, my first trip there. And the other is a book that apparently the Pope has read a lot. I hear from other, Cardinal Ratzinger, before Pope Benedict refers to it. It's by Robert Hugh Benson called The Lord of the World. And it's about, I was reading it on the coming back, on the plane coming back from Rome just last week long trips. So now, I mind you, I must admit, my previous reading a book all through was one of these things here, but this time it was more click, click, click on my my little e-book. But in that book, Robert Hugh Benson, around 1907, foresees a world far distant in the future where the powers of secularism against which we are fighting, the power of euthanizing and the power of just draining dignity and human personhood are immensely powerful. And is simply the Antichrist against the Catholic Church. It's quite a book. And that's what the Lord is talking about here. That uh, St. Paul says, there are powers and dominions that we are against here that are not just a minor thing. It's a cosmic battle. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Don't get too loaded down, he says. We can all get loaded down, you know, with all kinds of things. And I guess we all tend to do that and maybe some of it's harmless, but fundamentally we've got to be sure we don't get, we listen to the Lord here. And what do we put our trust? Don't use two tunics, one should do. Don't be trying to, back up. Nothing against insurance, you know. Insurance is fine. Very prudent to have insurance. But we got to trust a little bit. we got to move quick on the territory. We can't have a impedimenta, you know, a whole baggage train kind of behind us. we got to move like General Sherman in the Civil War in <laughs> the United States, quickly. And um, not loaded down with all kinds of things which are going to be precisely useless when we see the Lord face to face. So move lightly across this world. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, when you enter a house, stay there till you leave the place. I suppose they figure where you land, be be patient with it, you know, just Go there and get to work. Don't be thinking, hmm, is there a better place I could move to? Can I sort of move up a little bit here? No, we spend so much time on useless things like that. No, just land somewhere, get moving, get to work. Stay there until you leave the place. Good advice. And if any place will not receive you and they refuse to hear you, so he had experienced that in his own village just before this. If they won't listen to you, and despite your best efforts, go to the other villages. That's what he did. After all, because you can't force them to receive you. He is God and he didn't do it, so the disciples can't do it. If any place will not receive you and they refuse to hear you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet for a testimony against them. That's a bit brisk, isn't it, when you think of it? But he's serious. We've, you know, we can't be uh, superficial in our Christian life. This is serious. And the challenges we face as we are struggling against the powers of the Lord of this world, which are not of God, and the world, the flesh and the devil, all together, this is not child's play, this is serious and we need to take it seriously. A kind of a superficial plastic Christianity just doesn't cut it and never did and doesn't now certainly. So he says come on, just focus, don't get caught up in things that don't matter, travel lightly, focus where you are, get to work, If it doesn't work, move on, try again. So they went out and preached. And what did they preach? They went out and preached that men should repent. Again, this is Jesus Christ, our Lord. This kind of gooey Christianity that is concocted out of all kinds of popular visions is not the real thing. What did John the Baptist say at the beginning? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near at hand. We expect that of John the Baptist. He's a kind of a tough prophet. But what did our beloved Jesus say, the first thing? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what did he send his disciples to say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so they went out and preached that men should repent Let's just turn away from those things which are not of God. Those things that are ashes. And all that stuff we got in our own lives, we better clear it out first. We can't give what we haven't got. So that's why our own life, each one of us, if we're to be a faithful disciple, we must live a repentant life. All of us. Because all of us are clogged up. We've got all that spiritual cholesterol just clogging us up. So, got to, you know, we got, we, we've got to say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then we will perhaps be of some service in his mission, in which we find our joy, in which we find our life. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. They healed and they cast out evil and brought healing. This is, by the way, one of the earliest, it's not a reference exactly to the sacrament of the sick, but it's a foreshadowing of it. Well, it is really, in a sense, the sacrament of the sick. We find that mostly in the letter of James, where it says, as, one, as any of you sick, let the elders let the presbyters come and anoint them. But there is a foreshadowing back here to this, the disciples going around anointing with oil. Right over here, we blessed the oil of the sick just to the mass of the chrism a few weeks ago. The Lord works through sacramental signs. The Word becomes flesh and dwells amongst us. Water, bread, wine, oil. Next Saturday, hands on the head. There's nothing subtle about an ordination. And I tell you, when I ordain someone, they know they're ordained. It's physical, the divine, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. We're not doing some mind meld with the eternal forces or something. That's uh, gnostic nonsense. So they cast out many demons and uh, anointed them with oil, many that were sick and healed them. Then we come to a foreshadowing of the passion of the Lord faithful prophet, the evil man of power. And we see that world in which the word becomes flesh. And we can look and think as we reflect on this about our own world and how far it is still in that darkness. Think of these people, Herod, Herodias, the daughter, the guests, all of them shallow, vindictive, some, cowardly, and we can look at them, you, you, look at you through there. Oh, look at them all over there. But the window through which we see the people in this story of the martyrdom of John the Baptist should become a mirror in which we see ourselves. How often have we ourselves done things like this? You don't just point, remember when you're pointing your finger at someone. you got three of them pointing back at yourself. So it's good for us to reflect on that. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these powers at work in him. And others said it is Elijah. And others said it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. were saying it was John the Baptist. 28% were saying it's a 31%. Here we are. They're taking a poll. Public opinion. they were all wrong. That's a good thing to (coughs) reflect upon. I think Winston Churchill said, it's not a good posture for a leader to be with his ear to the ground and his finger to the wind. I mean, it's good if you're flying a plane to look out the window to see what's out there, but you've got to know where the airport is and know how to get there. And you've got to navigate and not just say, some said it was John, the it was Elijah. Others said a prophet. Others say, and of course, Herod's got a winning pick here. He says, Herod heard of it. He said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So all public opinion was wrong, including Herod's. Let's think about that a bit. (laughs) 42.3% do not believe in whatever, in the Catholic faith. You know, you see these things these days? We get a lot of them. 18.9% of Catholics do not believe in such and such or whatever. Basically, I might say this is the challenge we face of evangelization, but apart from that, who cares? I mean, what does this prove? I remember once talking to a... I'll try to fuzz it up in the interests of charity, um, how can I do it? Hmm, fuzzy, 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 trying to... Talking with certain religious leaders, let's say, at a certain place somewhere, about a certain subject, about a change in the code of the the law of God, let's say. And one of these uh, people was saying, well, you know, we've um, discerned about this, and... Uh, We find about 50% of the people are in favor of essentially changing the moral code of God, you know, Ten Commandments, you know. When they become the Ten Suggestions, they sort of are sort of wobbly a bit. But, you know, it's not enough. We need to do more discernment. Now we find 60% are in favor. So I think we can go with that. Good grief. I said, oh, and took another sip of tea. Oh, can I have a sandwich, please? (laughs) I don't think... That's the way it works. Some say he is this, some say he is that. We must be focused on the will of God, which comes to us in the sacred scriptures and the living faith of the church. Our conscience is not, gee, that sounds good to me. No, conscience is with Con science, knowledge. It's not just, like, are you open to that? <laughs> how does that feel? Let's check how many people think this or that. And uh, the current teaching of the Catholic Church is that, da-da-da-da, no. <laughs> it is, there's truth and falsity. The moral code is not like, I like strawberry, do you like chocolate? That's okay for ice cream. But when we vault a bit higher than that level, we're in a whole different world. So this, King Herod heard of it. Some said this thing and some said something else. So let's pray the Lord to give us a little more depth that we don't just, first of all, we don't get all uh, worried by all this kind of silly stuff that goes (laughs) along and that we we don't, We don't spin like a weather vane. It's the cross of Christ that is what guides us. The revelation that comes from the sacred scriptures and the living faith of the church and right reason, the mind God gave us, faith and reason. Pope John Paul wrote a beautiful encyclical on that. The two wings with which we fly to God And it's not just, gee, it feels to me we should do this. What do you think? For Herod had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Now here's John now is not exactly, wishy-washy is not the word applied to John. He just sort of said what happened. He said to him, it is not lawful to you to have your brother's wife well it isn't it's just the truth we presume he said it in a pastoral way but the most pastoral thing you can say is hello <laughs> this is not i don't that's not it only in some early texts do we have it saying hello this is <laughs> It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. Think of how often it's our own sins that lead us to have a grudge and turn us against the teachings of the church. It is our own guilty conscience that can lead us to turn away. Do you notice how a person can be impassioned on a point about which they are rather sensitive themselves? Each one of us can do that. So Herodias had a grudge against him. Let's just ask the Lord to give us a little insight so our eyes may be open just a little so that We can see those things in our own lives that we need to get to confession about, that lead us, that kind of have a hook into us, the sins which we're ashamed of, but, and that turn us away from God and that can distort our ability to see God's will. Remember, Bishop Sheen once spoke of somebody who had come to him objecting to some doctrine of the church. And he said, quick, get into the confessional. You need to get to confession. And it was indeed some nagging sin that had led to that. Let's ask the Lord to help us be free of those things. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. So even the wicked king recognizes goodness. That, by the way, is why no matter what we do, we should simply profess our faith gently with charity. Even people who may seem to be against the faith respect goodness and holiness. And we should try gently to be who we are, live with integrity. That's how we are called to evangelize and not be afraid. Sometimes that will make a huge difference. When he heard him, he was much perplexed and yet he heard him gladly. That's so true, isn't it? We're troubled and yet it was something attractive about the truth even though it was painful, he could sense in himself it was life-giving. But an opportunity came and Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to her, ask me for whatever you wish and I will grant it. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give you even half my kingdom. I suspect he was probably drinking a fair bit when he did that. But uh, look at that now. He just, he's, all this wild, like he doesn't have a base. There's no there there in Herod. And therefore he can flip back and forth. Look at how that happens to each one of us. If we don't have a keel to the ship, we flip all over the surface of the water. You gotta have that depth, each one of us, or we start making all these little vague, make you know, get launched into things without much thought. And she went out and I said to her mother, "What shall I ask?" And she said, "The head of John the Baptist." Well, she knew what she wanted, and the grudge of being rejected for her sins, Herod didn't seem to bother me, bother too much but she was rejected and therefore she wants revenge. And so she came in and immediately had to the king and said, I want you to give me the head, at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, like Pilate later on. He wasn't a monster really, he was sorry about this. But because of his oaths and his guests, He did not want to break his word to her. This is the scriptural reference to peer pressure. Think of all the times we will not stand up for the faith or we're a little embarrassed because we're afraid of what people will think. In other parts of the world, people are being shot for being Catholic. We're not going to run into that, at least not for some time around here, but boy, we can run into being mocked or being rejected or being looked down upon or being laughed at. And that's, that's all it took for Herod to kill John the Baptist, was the fear of what others would think. And because of his oath and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard and gave orders to bring his head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. It didn't take long, boom, 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 once the action was in place. Boasting, imprudence, cowardice, death, generated by rejection, a grudge, embarrassment, irritation at being called out, And to this, we have the death of John the Baptist. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. As later on will happen with our Lord Jesus himself. He went away from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, Where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty wonders are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Then he called to him the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, when you enter a house, stay there till you leave the place. But if any place will not receive you, and they refuse to hear you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on their feet for a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these powers were at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. Others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not for Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was much perplexed and yet he heard him gladly But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will grant it. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist, she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard and gave orders to bring his head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.